Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Baruch Hashem, here we are yet again for another SAI. And Yosef decided to make an appearance today. He says hi. Um, okay, so our, just to give a general introduction, to our SAI program. SAI stands for Systematic Avoida Initiative, which we started several years ago. It's probably gonna be six or seven years ago by this point, um, that we realized that we all say we're gonna do Avoida, we're gonna work on ourselves, we're gonna improve. And it kind of get, becomes an idea that doesn't have a step-by-step -step concept to really follow through. And by the end, we reach from Pesach till Shavuos, and we worked on ourselves as much as we could with the idea of what, whatever we wanted to. So what we decided was we're going to give a tangible step-by-step -step, um, action. So we have daily reading from Rabbi Jacobson, Simon Jacobson's book, Counting the Eimer. Um, and that way you are not gonna miss your bracha, Eimer Tashem. That's the, also a side benefit. And we also provide you with a journal, a living Chassidus journal. And in it, you once a week, once a week, you write a journal based on the questions and on the readings. Um, you can do more than that. Uh, but if you do at least once a week, then at all the Ferengans, which is every other week, well, yeah, almost every other week, we provide not just an incredible speaker, with amazing insights, but we also provide prizes. And our prizes range from svarim to jewelry, to gift cards, to an umbrella with our beautiful logo and our beautiful concept of let the brachas rain down. Uh, we've just come up with really clever and amazing ideas. So enjoy the program and grow as, as we called it, don't just, Count it, grow through it. So today we have um, who has become over the years our most popular and most beloved kickoff speaker, Rabbi Israel Glick, and he's going to start us off. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So for starters, I think we need to address We'll talk about what the name, the official name, the title of the talk is. Um, and it might seem a little bit careless, but as we'll see over the course of the next few minutes, it's actually very intentional, um, quite the opposite of careless. So right, the, 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 the official title, the theme that we're talking about tonight is how to create the freedom you want. And the word create seems a little bit maybe unusual, unusual choice out of place. Freedom isn't really something you generally need to create, right? In a situation in which there's something we need to do to achieve freedom, it's not usually because we need to create the freedom. It's because there's something in the way of freedom. There's something that is, let's say, oppressing, enslaving, whatever it is. And then we need to remove that oppression. We need to be liberated from the oppression to be free, right? But we're not actually creating the freedom, really. If you think about it, free, 
freedom is the status quo. If there is no oppression, if there's nothing that is getting in the way of us being free, then we are free. Freedom isn't something that you create. It might be something you need to facilitate, but even when that's the case, you're not really creating the freedom. You're removing the thing that's in the way of the freedom, which would be there naturally if there wasn't something standing in the way of freedom. Right? So that being said, I you know, chose the word create and said that what we're going to be talking about is creating the freedom you want for a reason. Because it's true on one hand, conceptually, hypothetically, yes, freedom is this, the sort of the natural state of being if there isn't something that is inhibiting freedom, there isn't something that is, you know, oppressing or getting in the way of freedom. And then all you have to do is just remove those things in the event that there's something in the way of freedom. And then you're, you're back to the freedom that's the underlying status quo. Conceptually, that's true. But in reality, that, that's not the way it works at all. Um, and we're going to talk about why. And as we understand why, as we understand why, although it's true conceptually that freedom isn't something you have to create, it's just something that you have to maybe protect or facilitate or, you know, you have to liberate to get freedom, but you're not creating the freedom. Conceptually, that's true. In reality, it's not the case at all. And as we understand why, that's also going to give us insight and clarity into how we can create the freedom that we want now you know it, it it could be that you know some people's mind right away goes to well freedom is not really what we think freedom is freedom is really in you know the freedom to to live true to our nature and true to our purpose not just what we want all of which is very true and that's a very important part of the message of pesach because pesach is man is the it's the festival of freedom. It's the festival of liberation. And it's true that a very, very important part of freedom, of understanding what freedom really is, is the idea that freedom is the freedom to live true to who we really are, to our purpose and to our true nature, rather than the whims and the things that we feel like. That's true, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. That's a, a, a separate conversation. I think we've, we've talked about that at length in the past. Um, right. And again, if you look at the title, I said, how to create the freedom you want. This is not about really, you have to understand what freedom really is. And once you understand what freedom, no, I'm talking about the freedom you want, how to create the freedom you want. And I want to talk about sort of a couple of categories, a couple of kinds of things that get in the way or that are, let's say that the, the nature of reality is that the structure of existence by definition stands in the way of freedom. Even though conceptually it's true that freedom is something that we need to protect or facilitate, but in reality, the structure of existence, the nature of reality has a number of things that oppose freedom that stand in the way of freedom. And again, not just the freedom of true to our purpose and meaning, etc. everything else, the freedom that we want, the freedom that you want. 
and because there are things that are built into literally the 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 structure the nature of reality the fabric of reality that are in the way and and it's in terms of the circumstances it's in terms of our biology and physiology it's a whole range of things we'll talk about different things that are in the way the fact is that if we want freedom and the freedom that we want we have to create it once we understand why we have to create it we'll also understand how to create it, how we can create it and I would say maybe broadly, if you know, to talk about the these phenomena in nature, these things that oppose us having the freedom that we want. And again, this is true, regardless of whether our concept of freedom is really correct or incorrect as far as the creator is concerned, and as far as Torah is concerned, and the absolute truth, and however we want to frame it none of that really matters. Even if a person has a concept of freedom that is contrary to Hashem's view of freedom and contrary to the Torah's view of freedom, which obviously the same thing put differently, this still holds true. It doesn't matter what it is. This holds true regardless of what our concept of freedom is. That we need, if we want to have the freedom that we want, regardless of what it is, we have to create it. So if we look at the things that are built into nature and existence that make it such that we have to create our reality, we could divide them, I would say, into two broad categories. One of those categories is going to be circumstances, the circumstances of, of reality, of life, the world. And the second is things that are part of our nature as human beings. And again, it, th these, these things that are built into our nature, it's, it's not just as human beings. These, I, these phenomena are built into the nature of every organism, really, all the way down. But certainly, you know, we, it's very obvious and clear and simple to see it in mammals, etc. So it's not a uniquely human thing. It's just maybe it becomes complicated and problematic or difficult and gets in the way for humans. So when it comes to the circumstances, the, the, the nature of the world we live in, the bottom line is that, and this has always been the case, but it's the case now more than ever. And that's escalating on a minute by minute basis at the moment. And that is that the number of demands that exist on our resources and primarily, I'm not talking about money when I say resources. I'm talking primarily about our time. Time is a big one. And on some level, time is the most important one, perhaps, or the most objective one. But it's not the only one that's a real important part of this picture. The, the, the number of things that place demands on our time, which is very limited, on our headspace, which is maybe a little bit less clearly defined and a little bit more flexible, but still very limited in a very real way. The number of things that place demands that or that are demanding of our emotional bandwidth, of our capacity to process things and, you know, get things done, etc. And for different people, the, the struggle is going to be bigger in different details, but ultimately, all of us 
have more things to do than we have time for, than we have the mental bandwidth for, than we have the emotional bandwidth for. It just, that's life. And if we're just going to respond to those things sort of ambivalently or generically or arbitrarily, and when things come up, we deal with them, chances are, not chances are, it's absolutely inevitable that we are going to be spending a lot of time, a lot of mental energy, a lot of emotional bandwidth, et cetera, et cetera, on things that are maybe not our top priority, on things that are not that important to us. And the moment we realize, hang on a second, I only have 24 hours in a day. I only have so much mental headspace. I only have so much emotional bandwidth. If we allow those things to be occupied, co-opted by things without stopping to ask ourselves, does this contribute to my vision of what's important, my vision of who I want to be, my vision of the life I want to live, my vision of the legacy I want to create. If this thing that just came up, again, and inevitably this is going to happen hundreds of times a day to everybody. If we respond to things that come up without stopping to ask, is this making a contribution towards the things that I value, that's sufficient to justify me giving it the time, the mental, the headspace, the bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth. We're going to, if we don't stop and ask ourselves that many times a day, we're going to end up spending a, an enormous amount of these resources. And you know, today, I think more than ever, it's, it's easy. It, it, this hasn't changed, but it's become more obvious, I think, perhaps. The value of a minute, the value of 10 seconds, with the pace at which things move in our lives today and the number of things each of us has to get done every single day. You know, if, if, if someone could figure out how to you know, if, if there was some supplement that would enable everybody to be awake for 30 minutes more per day than they're currently able to without compromising their ability to think clearly and function at maximum capacity, they would be the wealthiest person overnight. No question. Why? Because everybody is pressed for time. We all know that we are limited in how many of the things that we want to do, we actually get to do one of the biggest limits on that is time. You know, it's, it's everybody understands today how valuable a minute is, how valuable, you know, a handful of seconds is. Some people more than others, you know, are conscious and aware of the value of, you know, the importance of being aware and prioritizing how we allocate and spend our our headspace and our emotional bandwidth, etc. Because the fact is, you know, there's an expression that says, 
no is yes. And it's nice and cute, but it's very, very, very true. And maybe the first thing we have to, that, you know, we'll, to, we'll clarify, which will clarify what no is yes means, is that yes is no. Yes is no. If something comes up, if someone makes a request, an opportunity comes along, and we say yes, we have by definition said no to everything else in that time. We can only be in one place at one time. We can only focus our mind and our emotional energy on one thing at one time, right? The expression goes, you can walk and chew gum. That expression is intentional because most of us can do each of those things without having to focus and concentrate. But you can't have a meaningful conversation whilst also writing an essay. Why? Because each of those things requires focus and concentration. And it is just technically, it's as impossible to focus on two things at once as it is to be in two places at one time. It's just different versions of the same thing. It's impossible. So as soon as we say yes, as soon as we say, yes, I will now spend time on this, I will spend mental, mental energy, emotional energy on this opportunity, whatever it is, it doesn't matter whether it's a good one or a bad one or valuable or not valuable or invaluable. It doesn't change the fact that when we say yes to allocating time, mental and emotional energy to something, we are denying that time from being available to anything else. We are designating that mental and emotional energy as not being available for anything else. It's, it's very simple. It's black and white. The flip side of that is that when something comes up and maybe, you know, we, we might naturally tend to say, you know what? Yeah. Okay. It's a nice thing to do, or it sounds fun or sounds nice or whatever it is. Yeah. And then we stop and ask ourselves, hang on a second. Considering the amount of time I have left in this day or this week or whatever it is, and the number of things I have to get done and how important each of those things is, is it actually a good idea to say yes to this opportunity? When I say yes to this, because by saying yes to this, I'll be saying no to everything else. Does the, does the value of this opportunity, the benefit, what it's going to con contribute towards my values and what's important to me, does that contribution justify the time and the mental and emotional energy that it's going to occupy and it's going to consume? And if the answer is yes, then go for it. But if the answer is no, then when we say no to that thing, we have now said yes to something else that's more valuable and more important. Because had we said yes, we'd been saying no to everything else. Someone asked me to do a favor to help them out with a project and it's a nice project. It's a nice idea. And, you know, maybe my initial instinct is to say yes. And then I stop and ask myself, hang on a second. Does this add up? Do I have other things that are more my responsibility that are my responsibility to a greater degree or things that are going to be more valuable? This is nice, but maybe something else is better, more important, going to have a bigger impact. And I can't do both at once. So when I say no to this opportunity, I'm saying yes to the other thing that I would have ended up missing out on had I said yes to this. So saying no is saying yes. Saying no to the second best opportunity is saying yes to the best opportunity, assuming we don't get sidetracked with something else in between. 
But saying, let, look at it the reverse, saying yes to the second best opportunity is saying no to the best opportunity, assuming that we can't do both. So saying no is saying yes. In order to say no, before we get there, right? One of the things, so this is one of the things that gets in the way of us having the freedom we want is the fact that we have limited resources, let's say, to achieve that freedom or to experience and enjoy it. And effectively infinite demands on those resources, infinite demands on our time, infinite demands on our mental and, and emotional energy, infinite demand on every single resource that we have. And if we want to have the freedom that we want in the face of the onslaught of things that are demanding our resources, we have to create it. We're going to talk about what that means. And again, why we have to create it, why I chose that word. And the second sort of broad category of things that gets in the way of us having the freedom we want, living the freedom we want, is our nature. There are, and there are things that are universal to, the truth is I said it's universal across all species, it's not just universal across all species, it's universal across everything. It's, it's, fundament, it's a fundamental rule of physics, it's true to all of physics, to all of chemistry, it's, and that is what we could maybe broadly dis, describe as right, the fact that as a rule, things are going to follow the path of least resistance. Right, I'm going to clarify what, what that means. Any time where there are two paths ahead of us, two options, two different ways that we could go, and it's not just us, it's anything. N the natural inclination, the natural choice is the thing that poses less resistance, the thing that is easier to do. Well, and, and you know, this is going to seem maybe a little far-fetched, but it's it's ultimately it's the same thing. Why is was it that you know it still is, but now it's 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 a lot simpler, and we have you know technology etc. to help. But you know, a huge part of agriculture of of what people depended on to have food for all of human history, right? Agriculture, people planting the food etc. And a huge part of that is irrigation, right? Is directing the water towards where it needs to be in order for the crops to grow effectively. Direct either, and it, in re, it's, it's a really good, a combination of both. Most things usually are. Planting things in a place in which they're gonna naturally be in, you know, exposed to a lot of natural rain and water. And if that's not possible, or even that's not gonna be enough, the next step is, to try to direct water towards where we want it to go. Why do you need to direct water towards where you want it to go? Why isn't the water just gonna show up where you want it to be? First of all, I mean, water is not sentient and it doesn't know or care where you want it to be. But ultimately the thing that determines where water is gonna go is where gravity is going to pull it. Right, water is naturally gonna flow down as everything, every physical object is gonna flow down, let's say within Earth's atmosphere is gonna move downwards towards Earth. 
if there's water at the top of a hill and there's a slope down, the water's going to run down the hill. Now, if I were to tell you that there's a hill that's, let's say, 300 feet tall, 300 feet high, and you know the bottom of the hill obviously is 300 feet below the peak of the hill, if there's a bucket of water at the top of the hill and you tip it, where is the water expected to end up? 300 feet below at the bottom of the hill. Now, let's say that like the water could flow down the hill in two different directions, two different paths. And one of those paths, there's you know, a, a reservoir where the water will be collected 150 feet down. Now, again, this doesn't really make sense, I guess, in terms of the analogy, because the water doesn't want to be lowest down. But let's say even that water had some inherent desire to be as low down as possible. So you would expect the water to run down all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, to the hill, it's 300 feet down or 150. But if from the top of the hill, there's a slope straight down to that reservoir, 150 feet down, or to get to the bottom of the hill without passing through the reservoir, there's sort of a, a big hump that it has to ride up and then to make it all the way down. It's not going to end up at the bottom of the hill. It's going to end up in the reservoir. As I'm describing this, that doesn't really make sense because you just end up with another reservoir. It's the same thing, but let's leave that on the side. The water is going to end up in the reservoir rather than at the bottom of the hill because to get to the bottom, it has to climb over something. It's going to take the path of least resistance. If you, fast food, why is fast food so popular? Right? Sorry? Bingo. What does that mean though? What, what does it mean that it's fast? The, the fact that the food is available quickly and easily with minimal resistance means that the path to fast food relative to the path to a healthy, wholesome, home-cooked, nutritious meal is the path of least resistance. You don't have to buy the ingredients. You don't have to work with them. You don't have to deal with them. You don't have to cook them. You don't have to do anything. You can scroll. Today, literally, you can pull your phone out of your pocket, swipe a few times, tap a couple of times, and you can have food on your desk 20 minutes later. There's a lot less resistance involved in getting fast food than there is in preparing food, which means that we have a natural tendency to take the path of least resistance. If an animal is hungry out in the wild and it could, I mean, why is it, let's say, even a lion, apex predator, if it has the option to uh, hunt a deer or to hunt a um, yeah, or, you know, a, a pack of hyenas or, you know, so, something a lot more bothersome, it's going to choose the deer. Why? Because there's less resistance. Why wouldn't you? It's natural. It, it, it wouldn't make any sense for the lion to go and, and hunt down something that is more difficult it's going to cost more energy. Energy is precious out in the wild. It's going to have a higher risk of failure. It's going to have a higher risk of pain and injury. It's going to be more dangerous. Obviously, you take the path of least resistance. And it's a very, it, it's a positive thing. The characteristic that we have to always look for the path of least resistance, it, it's not a negative thing inherently, right? The fact that we will naturally, 
if we don't stop and think consciously, intentionally, we will always naturally choose the easiest path to get to where we want to go. We will choose the path of least resistance. And that's a very important thing. And Hashem built it into our nature for a reason. And that's because efficiency is important. If we take the path of least resistance, we will get things done more efficiently, more quickly, more safely. We'll have more time, energy, etc., left for other things. And so this is something that's built very deeply into our nature to take the path of least resistance. And the truth is probably until, let's say, relatively recently, eh, maybe not. Probably in human nature, there are a number of things where the path of least resistance has always been the, least, the not ideal path, let's say. But it's becoming more and more the case as we just have such absurd levels of convenience and relative affluence, etc., that it's I mean, the, the path of least resistance in almost every part of our lives now is just not the best path towards a positive outcome overall. Because there are just things that are too easy to extend this, that that's not good for us. Now, because the drive to always take the path of least resistance is so strong, there is a very powerful force within us that is going to push us very often in many situations to do the thing that's not best for us. And not only, again, not only necessarily morally or in Hashem's, you know, vision of, of freedom, etc., and and true to our purpose and our nature, all of that is true and important, but that's not even the point here. You know, let, let's take some classic cliche stereotypical examples right i i, I want to improve my fitness i want to lose weight whatever it is why is it that so many people have such a hard time with things like that because i know that that outcome is something that i want i know it's something that i want for whatever reason it's good for my health i have a subjective interest in it all of the above but the bottom line is our wiring to take the path of least resistance is very powerful. And when there's asparagus and ice cream in front of my face, the ice cream is the path of least resistance. It's just a fact. If I'm sitting on the couch and I should really go for a run, staying on the couch is the path of least resistance. There's no resistance. There's zero resistance to staying on the couch. There's an enormous amount of resistance to going for a run. And even if we're not talking about the, you know, mental and psychological and all of that, just the, the number of actions you have to do and the amount of calories you have to put in to get outside to go for a run, stand up, arrange whatever things you need to have, your clothes and your sneakers and get everything together and put it all on and actually go, not to mention the internal resistance that we have that most people have to things like that. So the same wiring that means that you know, we're going to do things in the way that's most efficient, which is a positive thing, that same wiring means that we're going to be far more likely to sit on the couch than to go for a run unless we either have a, a specific, very, you know, a specific powerful motivation to do it or unless we're intentional and don't just take the path of least resistance, which is the natural thing to do. 
right? How much of what we do during the day we do automated just without thinking? For example, you know, you can walk and chew gum. You can read texts and brush your teeth at the same time, right? Most people brush their teeth by the time they're an adult without paying attention to which tooth they're brushing and how many times they've gone around in a circle. And why? Because we've done it so many times. Again, it's the same idea. But in the name of efficiency, Hashem has wired our brains so that if there's something we do again and again and again and again and again, our brains learn to just put it on autopilot so we don't have to spend energy and focus and all of those resources just to brush our teeth every day. Right. Think about like a little kid who's learning to brush their teeth for the first time and how much effort they're putting in just just their hand and mouth coordination, let alone concentrating on how much time and which tooth and the top and the bottom. It's like so overwhelming that it's so such a big project for them. If we had to do that every time we brushed our teeth, like that would be a lot of energy used unnecessarily and probably a lot less teeth being brushed a lot less frequently. So Hashem built it into our nature that our brains will pick that up and learn how to do it on autopilot to be able to do it more efficiently. It's very valuable to do things in the most efficient way. Sometimes efficiency comes at the cost of what we really want. Right? It's much more efficient to stay on the couch than to get out and go for a walk or do some exercise or you know, go out and touch grass. Why? Because it doesn't take anything to continue sitting on the couch. It's 100% efficient. There's no waste. There's no, nothing needed. And so again, that, that thing that's built into our nature to be as efficient as possible, to take the path of least resistance is going to drive us to stay on the couch. And it is very powerful. But if we want to get more fit or to have any of the numerous positive outcomes and benefits that are made possible when we go and do exercise, then we have to be intentional and say, hang on a second, path of least resistance says continue sitting on the couch. Is that going to give me the outcome I want or not? And if not, I have to then be intentional, override that force that drives us to take the path of least resistance and to do the thing that's going to give us the outcome we want. Right now, when it comes to all of this, you know, and, and there are so many variations of this, and there are some that are going to be pretty common to everyone. I'm sure everyone in this room has multiple, you know, unique challenges where the path of least resistance for each of us with regard to a specific thing is maybe, you know, a challenge for us where it's not for anyone else and no one else would relate. So, you know, and there's obviously some that are common to some, whatever, more than others, but for all of these things, for the demands, when it comes to both to the demands that the reality of existence puts on us in terms of the demands on our resources, on our time, on our mental and emotional bandwidth, etc., as well as this very powerful force we have built into our nature to always seek the path of least resistance. Both of, for us to overcome both of these to the extent that they're in the way of us having the freedom that we want. And again, this is true regardless of what it is. A person's concept of freedom might be terrible, but this is still true for that. Certainly for everyone here whose concept of freedom, again, there'll be you know details that'll vary from person to person, but presumably all of us here have a wholesome 
and you know morally and spiritually good concept of freedom if we want to have that if we want to have what we think of as freedom the life that we want to see ourselves living the achievement of the goals we want to achieve etc what would be freedom for us there are a number of things we have to do really and perhaps the most important part of the process isn't actually in creating the freedom it's way before we get there there's a story about a a wood chopping competition there was a competition once upon a time when before people played you know multiplayer video games with people across the world people would compete in things that were actually good for their health like physical activity and you know a big one was wood chopping people would get out and see you know they'd have a, a an, an amount of time and each one would be you know given a bunch of trees and see who could chop them those trees in given amount of time and so you know there was a, a one, one time a couple of people were competing and they had a really big bet let's say for argument's sake it's a ten thousand dollar bet who can chop down more trees in eight hours and one of the one of the people was one of the competitors was this young strong fit healthy guy 25 years old and the person he's competing against is you know not as young not as strong and fit looking let's just say and so the young guy rocks up and he's like oh yeah easy i got this in the bag and they set out and you know the time starts and they, they can't see each other they're far away but they could hear and the young guy gets out there and he's chopping and chopping and chopping and chopping non-stop and he hears the old man chopping for like 10 15 minutes and then the guy stops and he's not chopping anymore and he's like yeah sounds good to me and he keeps chopping and chopping and chopping and chopping and then 45 minutes later he hears the old guy start chopping again and he goes for another 15 minutes and then he stops and he takes another 45 minute break and the young guy's thinking well not only am i stronger than this guy and i can probably you know hit a lot harder with the a lot more with a lot more power with the axe but i'm also getting in four times as much time this guy's so old and unfit he's getting tired and every 15 minutes he has to rest for 45 minutes i got this in the bag easy comes the end of the day and this young guy's cut down 25 trees and is expecting the old man to have like you know, two three trees done and the old man's got 60 trees and he's wondering like he asked the old man he's like well, what do you how did that happen you weren't even chopping most of the time. Out of every hour, you're only chopping for 15 minutes. The old man says, yes, that's because I spent 45 minutes out of every hour making sure my ax was razor sharp to go for another round. Right, this guy spent the majority of his time in preparation and making sure that whatever equipment or tools needed to be used were in the most productive effective condition they could be and he got double as much done double and a half in a quarter the amount of time spent chopping because his axe was immeasurably sharper you know after an hour of chopping think about what the young guy's axe was and after two hours and three hours by the end of the day this guy's axe got sharpened for three quarters out of every hour and every every chop that this guy took against a tree was extremely effective you know, and I think that I think the same thing is really true here. I want to say the most important part, but a very underrated part, and perhaps rather than most important, because that's probably too simple and not necessarily accurate, but the place where we're going to get the most bang for our buck in terms of creating the freedom that we want 
is going to be not in actually creating the freedom itself, but in the preparation. Because when something comes up during the day, an opportunity comes up, someone asks us for a favor, someone asks us to get involved in something, or you know, we, we see something that we feel like eating and we want to eat it, whatever it is, whether we're dealing with a demand on our time or mental and emotional bandwidth or you know, a path of least resistance issue, whatever it is, you know, if we have to start asking ourselves, hang on a second, should I do this? Should I not do this? Well, what's the value? What's the benefit? Yeah, but is that more or less valuable? We could spend our whole day just deliberating and trying to figure out whether or not we want to say yes or no. Whereas if we had already spent time thinking about what is it that's truly valuable to me? What do I want my life to look like tomorrow, next year, in 10 years, in 20 years? What do I want to contribute to the world? What do I want people to think of when they hear my name? What difference do I want to have made to Hashem's purpose for creating all of existence? What are the things that really matter? If we've already spent time thinking, asking ourselves these questions, and, and it's, the, the, it's easier said than done. It sounds like a simple thing. If I were to ask now everybody, take out a pen and paper and write down your values and what's most important to you, we could all give very good response in 30 seconds. That being said, if we would go head to head with any of our responses, there will be room for challenge and for argument and for a lot of back and forth. And there'll be digging and digging and digging and digging until we really get clarity. In what is it that we actually really want? What is it that we actually really value? And when we invest the time and the effort, and it's both because it's not an easy thing to do, but to really get clarity, in who do we want to be? What do we want to do? What is it that is truly valuable to us? What is it that we will look back at the end of the day and say, yes, I'm glad with how I spent my day at the end of the week, at the end of the year. The more clarity we have in those things, if we have, you know, a, a very strong conviction and clarity in what our values are, in what is most important to us and what is second most important to us and it's also important and valuable to know not just what are the things that are most important to us but which one is number one and which one is number two and which one's number three and that way when something comes up when an opportunity comes up we can ask ourselves okay i have 24 hours today i have to sleep i have to eat there are things i have to do in the amount of time that's remaining if I do this thing, will it come at the cost of something else that is more valuable to me and that I will feel better about having done at the end of the day? And if the answer is yes, there is something else that is higher on my list of values, then that makes it very easy to say, you know what, I'd love to help you, but unfortunately I can't. Or this is a great opportunity, not for me. Or just very simply, no. And by saying no, we're saying yes to the thing that we really do want to be doing. And had we said yes to this, we would have been saying no to something else that's more important to us, that's more valuable to us, that means more to us. And so the same way that this older 
you know, woodchopper had put in the time to keep that axe razor sharp in 15 minutes, he cut down double as much as the younger, stronger, fitter guy cut down in an hour. Every minute we spend on asking ourselves and digging and, and you know, it's, it takes effort and it takes emotional bandwidth also. It's not an easy thing to do necessarily. And it's not a pleasant or comfortable thing to do because we all have conflicts in our lives and, you know, points of, you know, where things get blurry and confused and mixed up, etc. But every minute that we, the, the value of every minute that we spend figuring out what is the freedom that I want? We can't create the freedom we want if we don't know what it is that it, or what is the freedom we want? What does that look like? When we know what the freedom we want is, what it looks like, what it involves, and what it's going to take to make that happen, that's a prerequisite for us to then be free to make it happen. Because we're not, as much as we might be resilient and have determination and self-control and all of those things, we're not free to create the future that we want to create the things that are important to us if we're not even clear about what those are. And so it's the clarity in what do we really care about? What is it that, that is important to us? What is it that we really truly value above all else? And what's number two on that list? And what's number three on that list? And again, an important part of that is knowing which is number one, which is number two, and which is number three. When we have that clarity, in a sense that in, in getting that clarity, we are creating the freedom, the ability to live the life that we want and to be the person that we want to be and to create the legacy we want to create and make the contribution to and to the purpose of all existence that we want to make. We have to create that freedom. And, and perhaps the, the, the biggest step that we have to take in creating that freedom is to ask ourselves these questions and to clarify what it is that's truly valuable to us. And when we understand and we've dug through the conflicts and struggled with them, and, you know, whether ourselves and for different people it works differently, whether it's, you know, with a, a, a close friend who we can really be honest and open with, whether it's ourselves with pen and paper or, you know, on a note taking app or talking to ourselves out loud while we go on a walk somewhere, whatever it is, each to their own. But when we take the time to work through these things and figure them out and actually get clarity in what is it that we really want when we do that? We are creating the freedom perhaps we could say creating the freedom to have the freedom we want or creating we are creating the freedom we want we're creating the ability the freedom to be who we want to be and to do what we want to do and to have what we want to have because without asking those questions and without working through those issues and you know just to get that clarity we're not free to be who we want to be because 
reality is going to be throwing things at us at a thousand things a minute every day without fail. You open your eyes. The second you open your eyes, study, there are multiple things calling for your attention. There's your phone. There are the things you need to get done. There's brachas and our connection with Hashem and our purpose for existing and the things that make our life meaningful and the to-do list that we've, you know, the things that are left on our to-do list from yesterday and our social media and the list goes on and on. The second we open our eyes, all of those things are pulling at our attention and our energy. And if we don't have clarity in what it is that we really want, we have basically close to no chance of getting what we want and being who we want to be and doing what we want to do and having what we want to have. And in clarifying those things, asking those questions and, and working through them and figuring them out and getting clarity and conviction, in doing that, we create the freedom that, that we want. And may it truly be not just a Yom Tov and a festival, but a month of liberation and freedom. And it should be the fruit we should have. Everyone should have success in clarifying the freedom that we want, they want and in working towards and achieving and creating the freedom that we want. And it should be, we should have the wisdom that the freedom that we want should be true freedom and a truly meaningful and purposeful freedom as well. Mm -hmm.